We've seen in the last uh, few chapters that Deuteronomy, it means second law or a repeating of the law as the children of Israel now are on the cusp of going into the promised land. That 40 years has passed in the wilderness that the Lord prophesied through Moses that generation would not enter into the promised land because of their lack of faith. Remember, they were called to go into Canaan and they went in and saw the giants and they were seized by fear versus walking by faith. And the Lord said that that generation would pass away, but the next would be raised up. And so as you look at Exodus and some of those earlier books, you know, the law was given to them. And then we come here to Deuteronomy and we see a reiteration of it with a lot of new things as well. And it's the Lord preparing this next generation to again, enter in the promised land. And right there, there's a lesson for us that we want to be equipping the next generation with the word of God. We want to have a concern for them. It's why in part we have ministry down the hallway tonight to our youth and out in the modular to our children and so forth. And uh, listen, we don't ever want to lose sight of that. I think of King Hezekiah when, you know, he showed all the treasures there in the temple to the Babylonians. And the Lord said, well, you know what, you're going to reign for 15 more years, but the next generation is going to be taken captive by the Babylonians, you know, down the road. And he was basically like, well, that's fine as long as it's all good for me. And we don't want to have that heart. We don't want to have that mind. We want to be concerned about the next generation and praying for them and absolutely getting God's word out there to them. And so Deuteronomy, it's again, the word to that next generation. And we also saw, and I'll probably repeat this for a while, just so that, you know, it kind of helps to drive home the importance of these books and books like Deuteronomy that oftentimes gets ignored by folks. Remember, this is quoted, Deuteronomy is quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book, and is quoted more by Jesus Christ than any other Old Testament book. So there's great importance here. So in the first few chapters, we've seen a recap of events that took place out in the wilderness, uh, really Moses wanting to point out the things they did wrong that the next generation would learn from, as well as things they did right, and more so the faithfulness of God to them, especially in confronting, you know, these enemies of the Lord and the children of Israel as they drew closer to the border. And last week we saw that, you know, as they drew closer to the border, the Lord wanted them to not engage the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Lot because they were their relatives and the land they had, God had given to them. But there were other nations around there that they did engage in battle. And remember, those nations were marked by having giants dwelling amongst them. And last week, or yeah, it was last week, we went into great detail about these giants that we read about in the Bible. And so if you weren't with us and you're interested in that, I'd encourage you to go back online or grab a CD and listen to that uh, because it's so in-depth, I don't want to start into it again. Otherwise, I, know, I won't know where to stop. But we'll touch a little bit more on it again tonight. So tonight, as we come to chapter three, it's a continuation of a recap. Remember, this is in part, they're, they're, they're having this recap to them and brought their, to their attention to show them how God had been faithful to them east of the Jordan to build their faith. So when they went again west of the Jordan into the land of Canaan, they would go not with their hearts seized by fear, but walking in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, that's such a major issue in life in general. The enemy works to try to stir up fear. Fearing men, fearing situations, fearing we're going to, you know, lose what we have that's been given to us by God in the first place. And the Lord wants us to walk by faith, trusting in him, 
believing his word, stepping out, knowing God will go before me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? As Jesus said, you know, don't fear man who can destroy the body, but fear God who can destroy the soul in hell. And as Christians, we know we're covered by the blood and we know that, amen, hell is not in our future. Heaven is in our future. But here on earth, absolutely, we want to walk by that principle, not fearing men, but fearing God, have a reverence for God and an awe of God. And boy, there's great victory found when you're in that place. But that's when the fruit of the Holy Spirit really manifests in your life. And you begin to walk with the power of the Holy Spirit and you begin to see God just make an impact upon your life and then through your life to others around you. So with that said, let's start reading here. I want to start by reading verse 1 down through verse 11 here in Deuteronomy 3 and then we'll talk a little bit about it and move on from there. It says, Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan and Og king of Bashan came out against us, he and all his people to battle at Edriel, Edrei. And the Lord said to me, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Shion, king of the Amorites who dwell in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people. And we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not one Uh, There was not a city which we did not take from them, 60 cities, all the regions of Argob, the kingdom of Og, and Basham. And these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, bars, besides a great many rural towns. And we utterly destroyed them as we did to Shion, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the livestock... And the spoil of the cities we took as a booty for ourselves. And at that time we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidians the Sidians called Hermon uh, Sirion, and the Amorites called it Sinner. Sin, uh, and the king and the cities of the plain, Al Gilead and Al Bashan, as far as Salkah and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og and Basham. Verse 11 For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstand was an iron bedstand. Is it not in Rabbath among the people of Ammon? Nine cubits its length, four cubits its width, according to the standard of. A cubit. So again, this is reiterating the victory that we actually had read about earlier in the book of Numbers. And the Lord's reminding them, listen, as you went in and you went up against Og in, you know, at the country of Bashan, I told you don't fear him. Now to their eye, they had all the reason in the world to fear him and these armies, because again, it says these cities were fortified They had high walls and gates and bars. Uh, They had rural villages outside of those as well that no doubt were full of soldiers. These were trained soldiers. You know what, the Israelites, you know, they, they were getting trained up in the wilderness, but this was a people that was in slavery for close to 400 years. And I guarantee you the Egyptians did not give them training in how to be a soldier. That's the last thing they wanted. They wanted to keep them suppressed. So listen, from man's perspective, they had all the reason in the world to be fearful because, again, of 
what they were facing here and, and how well trained these armies well were, as well as it says here, Og, who was their king. Again, we read that he was another one of these giants, another one of these descendants of uh, angels that fell down and took upon women to try to destroy that seed of the Messiah that was promised to come through Israel. In fact, it says here where his, his bed was nine cubits in length and four cubits in width. Um, you know, we, we've all seen a California king bed, right? You know, maybe some of you have them. They're just massive. It, it, it would look like, a, you know, at a little uh, twin next to this because basically this is 13 and a half feet tall and six feet wide. And that's, that's if you go with the smallest form of a cubic that we have, you know, a foot and a half. Some people say that a cubit is actually bigger than that or it varies based on the, you know, at time uh, that, that it's talked about in the scriptures. So 13 and a half feet tall, six feet wide. This wasn't just a tall, slender guy. This was a guy that was, you know, built like a barrel and had massive height. And again, from man's eyes, he would be fearful, but God told him, don't fear. Why? Because I'm going to go before you and I'm going to bring deliverance. And when I bring deliverance, there's going to be no survivors left. And again, God told them to utterly wipe out all of them because, again, of the genetics and so forth, as well as the fact that judgment was coming upon these nations that had so much time to repent, and yet they didn't. And they'd come to that place where they were no longer ashamed of their sin. And listen, sin always brings ramifications, not only in our own lives, but it's going to bring ramifications upon our children if we raise them in sin as well. And that was the case here of these people of Basham. Notice as well here, and then we'll move on. Again, as they walked by faith, as they put their fear in check, and they said, we're not going to walk by what we see, because if we go by what we see, indeed, we're going to shrink back. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to trust in the Lord. Again, not only did God give them victory when they walked by faith and trusted in him, but then he gave them all of these fortified cities. And again, these things that look so overwhelming as they walk by faith God gives them victory and then he gives them these cities that they didn't even have to labor for because God gave them the victory but it was beforehand again that Bashan and their people had built these incredible cities this is there were 60 of them plus all these rural villages and God gave them what they did not labor for does that not sound familiar I mean tonight is your faith in Jesus Christ can you say amen to that then listen you have you have something that's more valuable than, than if you gain the whole world. We talked about it Sunday. What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And there's some go out and they work their whole life to try to gain the whole world. And some that even, you know, would accomplish the whole world according to what they set out to accomplish by the work of their hand, which God does give them the ability to do that, but it costs them their soul if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, in Christ Jesus, we have our sins forgiven. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And guess what it cost us? It cost us nothing. We were purchased from our sin through what? The shed blood of Jesus Christ, which is more precious than gold and silver and anything else that man can muster. It took his shed blood to save us. And isn't it good to know that you have salvation tonight and you did not have to labor for it and praise God, you don't have to labor to keep it because we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. It's good news. Now notice verse 12, and we'll read down here through uh, verse 20. And again, this is recapping some things that we had looked at in great detail earlier in Numbers. 
But it says, and this land which we possessed at that time from uh, Arior, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites, the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argob with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. And again, we talked about that in a lot of detail last week. Uh, Jer, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob. You know, that's a name you don't hear often, Argob. Sounds like something out of like The Hobbit or something. As far as the border of the Gersherites and the Mahashanites, and called Bashan after his own name, Havoth, Jr. to this day. Verse 15. Also I gave Gilead uh, Marchar, and, the, and, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river as a border, as far as river Jabok, the border of the people of Ammon, the plain also with the Jordan as a border from Chinnereth, as far east of the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea below the slopes of Pishgah. And listen, all these places are marked. And, it, you know, these are, these are the types of things that even bring, you know, even all the more validity to the scripture because you go back and you find these places they're talked about and they're exactly where they're talked about. And listen, especially over the last few hundred years, there's been so many archaeological digs and you come across various places and people say, oh, that was just a made up place because of this, that, and the other. And you just give up more time and they dig. You know what happens? The stones cry out. The boy, the scriptures are valid. The, the scriptures are true. Um, it's funny, I've been, uh, my, my ancestors were all Mormons, and uh, I've been looking a lot at the genealogy and things, and, and, and just kind of studying up on that stuff more, and Joseph Smith said that Jesus, after he rose, he went over and ministered to the Indians in South America, and you know, the Book of Mormon has all these places listed and so forth, and they have paintings, actually one of my aunts is one of the famous uh, Mormon artists, uh, Minerva uh, Tikrit. And uh, she has paintings and a bunch of the LDS temples and so forth. And some of her paintings are Jesus ministering to these Indians and so forth. And you know how much evidence there is to support it archaeologically? Are you ready for it? Zero. <laughs> Nada. Nothing. It's all conjured up divination like the rest of that false religion. And how sad because so many of those people are well-meaning. But listen, sorry, Jesus is not the spirit brother of Lucifer and we cannot become gods. Uh, there's only one God, and we need to yield to him. But these places, again, they're, they're, they're dug up, they're found, and so forth. Verse 18, then I, that was a side sermon here. Verse 18, then I commanded you at that time, saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. And notice here, all you men of valor shall cross over armed before your brother and the children of Israel. And we'll come back to the reason for this here in a second. But your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities which I have given you until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to the possession which I have given you. And remember here, if we go back to Numbers as they got closer to the land of Jordan, God began to give them victory over many of these nations east of the Jordan. Now God had said, I'm going to give you the land west of the Jordan. But as they began to get that victory, the Reubenites, the Gadites, Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, it says God had blessed them with a great amount of livestock. 
And with all that livestock, they begin to look at all that land. And really, in a way, they got their eyes off of the Lord. And they went to Moses and they said, will you ask the Lord to permit us to have our inheritance east of the Jordan versus west of the Jordan? And God, in his grace and mercy, listen, he allowed them to have that land. But he said, it's only on this condition. When the rest of the tribes go into the land of Canaan, west of the Jordan, your soldiers need to join them. Your women and your children and your precious livestock, you know, they can all stay back here, but you need to join them. The men of valor, the men of honor, the men that keep their words. And absolutely, God has called us to be a people of valor as well, to keep our word, even when it hurts. And listen, that's a great, that's an attribute that is sorely missing in our world today. I see it oftentimes sorely missing in the body of Christ as well. Individuals that do not keep their word, that just kind of you know, what go with what's ever convenient for them. And, you know, I know there's going to be an occasion when we can't keep it and so forth. And absolutely, God is gracious and God is merciful. But he says, listen, men of valor keep their word, men of honor. And whenever you keep your word, especially when it hurts, you know what happens? God, he honors you and he'll bless you and so forth. And so, listen, to their credit, we know that they would obey They would cross over and they would help the other tribes get victory west of the Jordan. But overall, remember we talked about God's perfect will and God's permissive will. And God's perfect will for the Reubenites, Gadites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh was to go in west of the Jordan and inherit that land in Canaan. His permissive will allowed them to take the land east of the Jordan. But we talked about how in the long run, it proved to be a costly mistake. They did not have the same hedge of protection as they would have had if you go into the land of Canaan. You go to Israel today, and it's amazing how God has set the Jews where they are with, again, the mountains and the sea and all of the borders around them to protect them. That's the reason why there's such a fight over the Golan Heights, which absolutely God has given to Israel, but absolutely Syria and these other nations do not want Israel to have that because, listen, the Golan Heights protects them from Damascus and protects them from Syria. It's it's a, a mountain range you have to go over. And if all of a sudden that was given to Syria, they can look right down into Israel and attack at any time. Listen, you go there today and God in 67 gave that to Israel. And well, it was already theirs, but they took it. And now they have that advantage and so forth. These tribes would settle east and they would not have that advantage. And later on, when the Israelites would fall into idolatry and the Assyrians would come down, they would take those tribes first into captivity. And listen, there's a lesson there. When we are God's perfect will, uh, listen, there's a great hedge protection around us. And the more we get out of his perfect will, the more that hedge gets lowered. And again, when we walk by faith, we trust in his perfect will. There's a great confidence there. We also know, again, this would move them far away from the place of worship, which would eventually be set up in Jerusalem. And it would take a toll on their children and their children's children. And we talked about how in the day of Jesus, he's ministering on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he leaves the crowds to go to the other side. And what's he find there amongst the tombs? Two men that have been chained up there because... Uh, you know, in Gadara, because they don't know what to do with this guy. And he's in that very place that these tribes settled. And Jesus went over there. And what do we see? We see a land that's, you know, infested with demons. We see Jews there that are pig farming when, listen, that's not kosher. That wasn't biblical. 
And then a people that even after Jesus cast those demons out and they went in those pigs and they went down to the sea, which there was another lesson there. Instead of coming out and bowing knee and saying, you are the Messiah, they asked Jesus to depart from them. And so, listen, there's a permissive will. And listen, there's some things where I, I think when you go buy a sandwich tomorrow, there's, there's a lot of freedom in Christ. You can get roast beef or turkey or even ham, you know. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. We have freedom in the Lord. Uh, but listen, there's a lot of things where there's a permissive will, but there's also a perfect will. And we want to strive to find God's perfect will through the word and prayer and so forth. Verse 21, and I commanded Joshua at that time saying, your eyes have seen all the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So the Lord will do to the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them for the Lord your God himself fights for you. So again, these victories are being reiterated and recapped to show them, listen, you saw these guys look huge, but you saw what the Lord did when you walked by faith. And so you must not fear these giants that you're going to face in Canaan. Why? Because the Lord himself is going to fight for you. And listen, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the same promises or how many times we will walk by sight and we shrink back and so forth. And we got to remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? And when we walk by faith, according to the scripture, absolutely, he goes before us mightily. And it's an awesome thing when you get to watch God fight for you. And listen, when conflict comes up, there will always be temptation to go battle it in the flesh especially when the enemy of our soul, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. But so often those powers and principalities, you know what they're working through? Flesh and blood. They're working through people. Sometimes those people don't know that. Other times they're in full-on cahoots with the wicked one. Full-on cahoots. I mean, full-on working hand and hand. In fact, there's even people that maybe to a degree, and it will be short-lived, even have an upper hand on the demonic, casting them and putting them in places and so forth. Um, you know, we were uh, created a manner in the image and likeness of God, and these fallen angels weren't. But one thing we know is we trust in him, and listen, we let the Lord defend us. And we get on our knees, and we pray, and we seek him, and we don't seek to fight flesh with flesh. It's an awesome, awesome thing when you get to watch God go before you. And so maybe even tonight, you're in a situation where you're being tempted to put God's word aside to put prayer to the side and to go, I'm gonna go handle this old school and so forth. Listen, step back, refrain. You don't wanna say, God, you can sit this one out. I got this one. It never ends well when you do that. You wanna say, Lord, go before me. God, help me to forgive. Help me even to pray your blessing on those that are coming against me. In fact, Lord, I pray that you will forgive them of their sin. I pray, God, that you'll wash them. I pray that you would bind the demonic that's working through them in Jesus Christ's mighty name. And listen, God works mightily when you call on him. Can you say amen to that? Verse 23, then I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over to see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. And remember, God had told Moses, you're not going to pass through. But now Moses is pleading, Lord, please let me pass through. Let me see those mountains. Let me see Lebanon. Verse 26, but the Lord was angry with me on your, angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. 
So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pishgah and lift your eyes towards the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So he stayed in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. And remember, it was Moses' sin when he misrepresented the Lord to the people. They come to one of those places where, again, there was no water, and the people complained, and the people grumbled against Moses and against God. Moses inquired of God, and he said, listen, go speak to that rock, and water will come out, and the people, they'll have their, their thirst quenched. But instead of speaking to the rock, what did Moses do? He went over and he struck the rock. And I got a feeling that he probably struck it like 13 or 18 times. You know, just you people are driving me crazy. And because of that and him misrepresenting the Lord, listen, God said, you're not going to enter that promised land. And there was something bigger than this going on. Again, John 1:17, and we've been looking at this on Sunday morning. We'll actually come back to it again this Sunday morning. It says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Again, the law came through Moses to show them they were sinners and they needed a savior. The law can't save. The law condemns. The law damns. And God, not was, God was not going to take the lawgiver to bring them into the promised land. Instead, he brought Joshua, you know, Yeshua, to point them to the one who brings us into salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. The law shows us we need salvation. And so he tells Moses at this time, enough, it's time to drop it. And that's, that's counsel that we need to hear and heed on certain matters. There's just some things that it comes to the point where, you know what, the Lord shows us this is the way things are and we need to drop it. I think about Paul. He was afflicted in his flesh and he inquired of the Lord three times to be healed. I remember the Lord said to him, this is a messenger of Satan who has been sent to buffet your body. It's been sent so that you don't get puffed up, that you don't get full of pride. It's been sent so in your weakness, you can be strong because in your weakness, you'll trust in me. And after Moses or uh, Paul realized that and God ministered to him on that, he never brought it up again. He said, listen, this is the way things are. I'm gonna walk with the Lord and I'm gonna rejoice because why? When I am weak, he is strong. Sometimes there's just certain issues that it comes to the point where, and we got to be led by the Lord in it. We absolutely need to look at scripture, especially if there's things we're asking for that go against scripture. Listen, you want to drop that. You want to drop that and take up the word of God and trust in him. And God's telling Moses, listen, it's time to drop it. You need to get Joshua ready. You need to equip him. And praise God, Moses would. And he would finish well. And there's a great lesson for us in the way he did that. Now let's go to chapter four and see how fast we can do this. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go and possess the land which the Lord God, your fathers, is giving you. And you shall not add to the word which I commanded you nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Beel Peor, for the Lord your God has delivered from among you all the men who followed at Beel Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. So again, on all of this, he tells this next generation, listen, if you listen, you're going to live and you're going to go in and you're going to possess. 
And there's a difference between listening and actually hearing. You notice with our kids, oftentimes they're selected, selective in what they actually hear, even when they're listening. I mean, you can start telling them, oh, you got to do this or that, that, and then you slip in there, and then we'll go for ice cream, and then that's all they hear, right? We'll go for ice cream. And the Bible says, and the Lord said, uh, Revelation 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And when you're really hearing, it's always seen in that you get up and you go forward and what God's called you to go forward in. And that's what he's telling him. Listen and go and you will live. Trust in me and you will live. And then he also tells him, listen to this command, do not add to it or do not take away from it. Don't be adding to God's word. Don't be taking away from God's word. You see a lot of that in the world today. Even in our second Timothy, it says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Before that, we're commanded to preach the word of God. And so oftentimes, listen, heresy, it's either men adding to the scriptures, you know, putting their twist on it, putting their legalism on it, or it's them taking away from the scripture, bringing in lasciviousness, bringing in, you know, a compromise and so forth. Interesting here in Deuteronomy, we're told not to add to the word or take away from it. In Proverbs, we're told not to add to it or take away from it. In Revelation 22, we're called not to add to it or take away from it. In fact, he says, if you add to it, I'm going to add the plagues of this book. And if you take away from it, I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. And so we want to take heed to that and absolutely hold God's word in reverence. God doesn't need us to fix his word. And there's a lot of guys running around saying, well, you're not very political, correct, politically correct. We're going to offend some people if we actually break out the word of God. You know, we need to, we need to fix, it, fix this so that it's more appealing to men. But hear this. What you win people with is what you win them to. Do you want to win them to a compromised gospel to another Jesus? What good is that for their soul? All that is to stroke a man's ego for, ego for a short time. And listen, the way these mega preachers are falling today, left and right like flies, a lot of them, it's not even their lifetime. It's a five, 10-year run, and then there's an implosion because houses built on sand always fall. He also tells them here, you saw what happened at Biel Peor. This is when the Moabite and the Midianite women came in and they tempted the Israelites and all those that partook were destroyed. He says to them, but you held fast. And as a result, you lived. And boy, there's so much temptation today. I can't encourage you enough to hold fast to Jesus Christ and all of it. Life is found in him. Verse five, surely I've taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding on the side of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So he says, listen, don't just hear the commands. When you go and act on them, observe them, and absolutely in doing that, you're going to be walking in wisdom. We're talking about the fear of man and the fear of the Lord. Listen, the fear of the Lord is seen when we act upon his word. That's what the fear of God is. It means that I believe what God says is true. I believe if I transgress, you know, at this command here, there's going to be ramifications. And I know if I, if I walk in this truth, there's going to be fruit that comes forth from that. That's seen that we really believe that. We really fear God when we walk accordingly. And listen, it's not something of fearing God abusing us because we're adopted sons and daughters through faith in Jesus Christ but it's a picture of a healthy relationship between a son and a father where that son knows that their father loves them. 
He also knows that when he obeys his father, there's absolutely blessings found because the commandments the father is going to give to the son is going to be for his benefit. But he also knows when his father says, don't go play out in the street, that he's telling them that to protect him. And he knows if he goes out and he plays out in the street, two things could happen. Number one, he could hit by a truck, which would be horrendous. Or his father may come home, see him out there on the street, and he's going to get dragged in and taken to the woodshed to correct him because he loves him, because he cares for him, because he wants to preserve his life. And listen, that's a picture on a small scale of the fear of God. And he's saying here, act, you know, in the fear of God, and you're going to have great wisdom. Do not the scriptures say that in, in uh, uh, it's actually Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. And when, we're sin, we're, when we sin, listen, it, 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 it shows we're being stupid. And the more we walk in sin, the, the more stupid we get. Verse 7. For what great nation is there that God so, is, is, has, what, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. Did you hear that? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. Listen, we're adopted sons and daughters of the Lord, sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham by faith. And you know, tonight you can call on him for whatever reason, whether big or small. In fact, he longs for us to cast all our cares upon him. Boy, what a great encouraging word. Verse eight, and what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are on all the law which is set before you this day? Notice here, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. Uh, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth that they may teach their children. That's when he gave them the law there. But notice here, he says, count your blessings. You're a great nation. I mean, count the way that God has blessed you. And then what's the main thing you need to do? Take heed to yourself and keep yourself. Keep yourself and teach your kids the way of the Lord. And wouldn't it be amazing if all of us just took heed to ourselves? If we'd be diligent to keep ourselves? How many times though we're more focused on everyone else and the speck in their eyes while we got a big log in our eye, you know? And we're just hitting people in the head with that log in our eye everywhere we turn. And boy, we need to start by be, being diligent to keep ourselves. Some say, oh yeah, you need to start by love. I gotta love myself first. You already naturally love yourself. That's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because you do that naturally. He's talking about keeping yourself, keeping your heart, keeping your walk. Where am I with the Lord? I can only keep myself by putting him first. He has to keep me. And then taking those truths and taking it upon myself to teach them to my children, to pray for them, to be the priest of my home, the priestess of your home and so forth and the Lord. Boy, what wonderful things would happen if we would all just start there. Verse 11. Then you came near at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire in the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. 
And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. And again, that law was given as a standard to them that God wanted them to walk in. But it was also given them to show them that they fell short of it at every turn to teach them that they need a better covenant. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. The laws are tutored to show us we need the Savior. Verse 15, take careful heed to yourself. Notice here, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Oreb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make yourself a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that's in the water beneath the earth. And take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the hosts of heaven, notice here, we'll come back to this, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord God has given to all the people under the whole heaven as a heritage, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance as you are to this day. So in other words, he says, God has no form, God's spirit. So don't start making things, you know, and say, oh boy, you know, this is God right here. Let's come bow down and worship it. They already got into trouble when they were delivered out of Egypt. Moses went up to Sinai to get the commandments and they're like, hey, what happened to this Moses fella? Oh, I must be gone. Well, why don't you give me all your gold? And Aaron forms a golden calf. Later on, he lies and sighs through the golden and just popped out. And they began to worship it. And he says, here's the Lord your God that's brought you out of Egypt. Why? It's men, again, wanting to be led by what they see. Let's worship what we see. And he says, don't do that. Why? It will be a stumbling block. It will get your eyes off the living God who is in spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and truth. And men will begin to worship things made by their own hands, which ultimately they're worshiping themselves in that. So he says, don't do that. All the nations around them worshiped idols that they made with their own hands. And every time you begin to do it, you better, be, you better beware. There's always going to be a demonic spirit that will come associate itself with that idol. He also says here, take heed to yourself when you look up and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and you feel driven to worship them. This is huge. Because how many times do individuals allow themselves to be led by their feelings over the word of God. They're like, what are you doing worshiping that? What are you doing fornicating? What are you doing committing adultery? What are you doing, you know what, walking in these sins? Well, listen, I prayed, but I really felt led to do this. The heart is desperately wicked. It deceives us. Boy, if we are just feeling driven and much of our culture is, it's one of the reasons we are in the mess that we are in socially, even in America. Don't be someone led by your feelings. Listen, if your feelings contradict God's word, those feelings need to be crucified. And you need to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. He tells them, remember, you were taken from the iron furnace out of Egypt to be his people. Remember what God's done for you Trust in him, put your hope in him, put your faith in him. We're going to try to finish here in two minutes. Is that where we're at? Four, one. Do I have another page after this? Okay. 
Furthermore, the Lord, the, the Lord was angry. Where am I at here? One, two. I know I did this a few weeks ago where I left one of the pages out. Yeah, we're not going to finish this. We're just going to stop right there. <laughs> I feel like we should, but I don't think we should. So, Heavenly Father, we just praise you, God. We thank you for your word. Lord, so many good things here for us. Amazing, God, how, Lord, we look at these ancient books and texts, and yet, Lord, they're the most relevant truth in the world today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood. We thank you, God, that thou salvation was afforded to us, not based on our labor or on our efforts, but what you did for us, and taking the wrath through us upon yourself at the cross, and absolutely resurrecting from the grave three days later, something we could never do in all of eternity, so that if any would call upon the name of Jesus, ask you to be their Lord and Savior, indeed you'll meet them where they are and wash them and cleanse them. And listen, if you haven't called on him, today's the day of salvation. I can't encourage you enough to call on the Lord, to ask him to be your Lord, which means you are turning from being your own Lord. You're saying, I lay it down at the foot of the cross. I lay my life down before you, Lord. Save me, wash me, cleanse me. I believe you died and rose from the grave. Be my Lord and my God. And listen, he'll meet you where you are. He'll meet you where you are even right now. And so call on him if you have not. We just thank you, Lord. We praise you. Bless the rest of our night. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. God bless you.